0: Welcome to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes, the podcast series that brings you The Clearing, where all good questions come to be asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common they're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors a clearing, a tree, a storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold. And a cake. So, yes, who are you? What's your story? And what life lessons learned along your way would you like to share with us? So, welcome to a GLT with me, CG. And we're recording. And we're recording. Now, welcome to a very, very thrice very exciting episode of the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. It's the podcast series that brings you The Clearing, where all good questions come to be asked. And all good stories come to be told. Now, this lovely man, Colin Hurley, if I may, the clearing could have been designed in your honour because it is a bit like Shakespeare's roundel. All the world's a stage. It's an empty space brimming and charged with potential. And I know the numerous times in your wonderful career that you've stepped into that space, into the sunlight of a clearing. Um, all the world's a stage and all the men and men, women merely players. This is Colin Hurley. Now, You're extremely welcome. It's a very rainy day here in Bristol, but many years ago, I had a very, very glorious spring in the sunlight and sunshine with you because I was lucky enough to be in a very, uh, for me, very seminal production of Hamlet uh, with you in the starring role. So um, when I got going with the Good Listening To podcast, I was particularly excited to speak to you. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the glorious, wonderful actor that is Colin Hurley.
1: Woohoo! I uh, can't think of a welcome that's ever been better than that. That's the best welcome. The award for best welcome ever for Colin Hurley goes to you, mate. And
0: right back at you, the award for best Hamlet should have been in the bag for you. You know, the conceit, obviously, with Polonius is to look at you all the way through the play. I was playing that, but um, to look at you and wonder if you're barking or not. Uh, My slight problem, because you were so brilliant, was I was looking at you thinking, excuse my French, fuck me, you're awesome. You were just brilliant. Uh, And so the nature of ensemble is what I learned from you because that idea of spiralling excellence. uh, And I'd only recently graduated from the Orphic Theatre School and to be on stage with you was was a a lesson and a a great, um, I suppose, exposition of what the nature of ensemble should be. So that lovely tension of not wanting to be the weak link when you were being so phenomenally good. So... um, Yes, I'm grateful that you're here. So what's your story of the day? How is Con- Colin Hurley, you lovely, bushy-faced man?
1: Um, I'm doing all right, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Um, it's lovely hearing you talk about that Hamlet. It's it's funny, with some, there are just times when things all come together, don't they? And um, where this lovely director, what was his name, Carl, Carl Hibbert?
0: Exactly. I've just Googled him this morning, actually, and I've just tried to, I'm, I'm, I'm telling him I'm speaking to you today. So I think we'll oh. be back in touch with each other, all of us.
1: But that, that idea of, of having such a compressed cast, there were just six of us. I think Shakespeare works better, you know, when you when you haven't got to try and remember who 20 different actors are playing. <laughs> yes. it <all> focuses. Also, <laughs> everyone's got a lot to do. Yes. Um, and then everyone, that means everyone gets warmed up and everyone's, you know, motors are running properly. So I think there was lots of good stuff.
0: And indeed, as I understand the the journey of your career, your journey to now, and we'll talk about where you are today, obviously, but you just played Horatio the summer before. And then it was a bit like you had a bit of an upgrade because your career was really on the ascension. And then there you were at the Salisbury Playhouse playing Hamlet.
1: Yes, um, that was when we met. That was one of my peaks, if you like. And um, after a peak, my pattern is, uh, you know, um, ten years go into it and then you have your peak and then I get lost. (laughs) <laughs> I, got, I got very, very lost straight after, uh, one more job after the Hamlet, so it's think... a sweet point. <laughs> sure
0: thing, and of course subsequently, you know, I, you've always been on my radar to keep an eye on you as in I'm watching you. I came to see you in Farinelli and the King, I know that you've been a real foil over the years of Mark Rylance where you've been in the Globe Theatre, again this idea of the roundel, the globe, you know, you're, you're a Shakespearean expert obviously, and I know you've travelled globally see what I'm doing there, with the educational outreach of the globe too, haven't you?
1: Yeah, that would um, th- be under my heading of things that, um, that shaped me. Um, definitely. We're going to
0: come on to all of that. Um, so yes, I'm going to take you then, with your permission, and thank you for being here, through the storytelling metaphors of the journey to now in your Good Listening To podcast, Damn Good Listening. And um, first of all, Colin Hurley, what is a clearing like for you? Where do you go to get clutter-free, inspirational, and able to think.
1: I had to have a good old think about this, you know, because <laughs> I haven't got one. <laughs> my initial response when, I, when, I, when you said that was, I haven't got a clearing. I wish I did. And then I tried to blame my family and everyone. And then I realized that that way madness lies. Um, and I, and I, well, I guess I've got a few little retreat spaces. Um, one would be doing my yoga, doing my swimming, going to the gym, exercise. Um, Another one that hasn't always been very helpful for the rest, anyone around me, but uh, touring, working away from home. Then I... idea of being on an open
0: road, like a sort of travelling player.
1: Yeah, yeah. The important bit being that I can leave all my life and responsibilities and things I haven't sorted out behind.
0: The great escape.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's always been with me, even, I mean, way back in the days when you get a a contract to go and work in a rep company for, for five or six months. I would always just give up my digs in London. Ridiculous. And each time I came back, I'd have to pay twice as much and find a new place.
0: <laughs> so you really thought that through? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, planning's never been my strong point.
0: So there's um, something about always being pulled towards the clearing of the next adventure is what I'm reading between the lines there.
1: Also, that's a good reading, mate. Right? A good reading, yes. There's um, a lot of um, aspiration and wishing and and disappointment with what I see in the mirror. <laughs> it's been a big theme. And,
0: and by the way, what's so beautiful about that is therein lies the human condition because we're all rack, you know, we're all in our time. Um, you know, not to go straight into all the world's a stage, but we are often dashed on, you know, we need the highs, the lows, the lows for the highs. We're sometimes dashed on the rocks of disappointment. We're sometimes bathed in glorious sunlight.
1: Yeah, now those highs and lows are interesting, aren't they? Because um, a, a couple of years back, I was, I was struggling with various nonsense. And um, a lady, a a, a lady who gave psychological help at our local doctors, Um, she's not a doctor herself, but a social worker, Um, she unofficially diagnosed me as type 2 bipolar. Okay. You know, this is what I'm seeing and hearing. And I thought about it and I remember thinking, oh, that's such a relief. I'm not just, I'm not just, you know, weird. But then afterwards I thought, hang on a minute, I'm not bipolar, my life is interesting and i think for artists you know the highs are higher the lows are lower yes um i don't mean like artists as a special breed but you know if you if you're open to creativity in any area yeah uh, and if you let go of some of the security of a routine um and the the things that society offers us to to make us feel safe and And
0: coming full circle there there's that lovely proposition then as polonius looking at you you're not completely mad you're just slightly mad (laughs) <laughs> and you had the so was it a, was it a sweet release of, of diagnosis, or have you rebelled against that diagnosis? So, do you disagree with it now?
1: No, I absolutely embrace it. I love it. Yeah. I've got a mate who's now she's very clear, she said type two, type two bipolar. And I've got a mate who's type one bipolar. And it, there was a kind of snobbism, you know, he went, Oh, no, type two, that's a personality disorder, it's not a medical condition. <laughs> and I felt well and truly put in my place
0: in your boxer. <laughs> uh, if I may ask you, um, because of, I know of your connections, did you ever have that type of discussion with, with Stephen Fry or people like that? Because I know that you were in that very, very seminal theatre moment of that incredibly famous production of Twelfth Night.
1: Right. Well, he's, he's um, an open book. He's extraordinary. Um, he'll talk to anyone about anything. Um, but I, I didn't particularly go Me Too with him. Uh-huh. Uh, But you hear it, you hear it enough. I mean, whenever I've had my my kind of wobbles or breakdowns or whatever, my difficult times, uh, I've always been really amazed. And I I shouldn't know by now, but as soon as you start talking about it, people are coming out of the woodwork, saying, "Oh yeah, I got that, I did that, I did." You know, and you're surrounded. You're surrounded by people going through the same stuff.
0: Well, I'm really struck, obviously, with the Hamlet line of, you know, showing the mirror to nature, because then what you're on the open road of doing there is really showing humanity.
1: Yeah, yes. And um, you might think you're holding the mirror up and then you find that there's a mirror coming back at you as well. Yes. Um, it's, it's a, I think, one of the attractions of, of acting. Once you go, I mean, I, I started it just because I wanted to show off love to the attention. There's just no two ways about that. It's very, very shallow um, motivation. But then you stick with the job and it does it offers you uh, all sorts of insights you know you you just you can't help but notice stuff about yourself and and,
0: and by the way you, you mustn't do yourself ever the disservice of thinking you have a shallow disposition because what i experience in the many things i've seen you do and i'll talk about something else that was i was particularly struck with there is really a seismic depth of humanity in there I'm not just being nice to you. the The example I'm thinking of last summer, when you came back into my focus, um, I was in France on holiday. The pandemic had just gone, and we just escaped to get somewhere. Thinking, should we? This is weird, but we were there. But I tuned in to you doing this extraordinary project, which is called Illyria, which is about you um, being positioned. We're all, you know, you were globally different position, but you were personifying the madness of Malvolio in this uh, online concept, which I think was quite pioneering and you can tell us more about it, but it was Illyria and I was just watching you play out the madness of Malvolio in an extraordinary gripping way. Mm. But you were well, on your own doing it. It was very much a sort of, just, you were just there on your own doing it.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you saw that as well. Um, one of those bits of work that i felt really proud of and um, would have loved everyone to have seen, um, not in particularly for me, that's <clears throat> when, when the work goes well, you sort of have to give up ownership of it, don't you? Yes. You'll know that with, with improv, the, the really, the really pinging bits of improvisation are, aren't things that you planned. You know, you might have you know, turned the soil over, but it just happens instinctively.
0: And we're going to be talking about alchemy and gold, as we know, later on in the construct of what we're discussing. Um, so you're clearing then. Um, I fully expected you to talk about it being a theatre space, but it's this idea of being pulled towards the next adventure. So you can choose a location you can you can pin your flag in the soil where would you like to be because i'm going to arrive with a tree to start to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out
1: all right well you know i think a tree would look very nice in between those two big pillars on the globe stage wouldn't it <laughs> let's go yeah.
0: lovely and, and and by the way as i mentioned before i think you've spouted some of my favorite monologues of history you've you've played henry v you've done saint crispin's day mm-hmm. have you done o for a muse of fire have you ever been the chorus of henry v as well
1: we um I obviously I learnt the speech. We um we did a production at The Globe. That the ensemble did a production and we decided we're gonna share it up. So we all in theory we all learnt it. <laughs> and then we were going to just, um, you know, just like jazz, you know, see who wants to speak the next line and who wants to do this, and it <laughs> just very quickly that most of us had only learnt the first half. So everyone was dead keen for the first 10 okay. lines. Well, you, can
0: do the second, you can do the second half.
1: <laughs> well, no, I didn't, didn't fancy it by then, I was too tired.
0: <laughs> because by the way, back in my uh, sort of experience of Shakespeare, I remember John Woodvine back in the day coming on stage with the English Shakespeare Company. This was before I subsequently met you at Salisbury and he came on stage with a, a glass of wine in his hand and started doing the chorus. And I was just gobsmacked at the Bath Theatre Royal that this guy was just going, but it was just absolutely whacking the back. Again, it's it's just profound when you learn, when you're bathed in greatness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so let's, talking of bathed in greatness, it's back to you, dear. Flag in the sound, we're going to be between the two pillars then in the Globe Theatre. Marvellous. So here I am then with it's going to sound quite sort of uh, waiting for Godot now. I'm arriving with a tree uh, in your clearing and we're going to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. Now, thank you for doing this before we spoke. You've had five minutes, Colin Hurley, or as long as you needed to think about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you. Two things that never fail to grab your attention. Squirrels, that's borrowed from the film Up, by the way. And then one quirkier, unusual fact about you, uh, Colin Hurley, we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. Over to you in a moment. I'm just going to shut my window because the dust cart is weaving its magic and I think that might interfere on the soundscape. So you have a thought. I'll be back in a minute post-dust truck. The comedy of being on Zoom. So um, over to you, pulling you towards your clearing to shake your tree, Colin Hurley? Uh,
1: Four things, four things that shaped me. Um, I think I'd have to go discovering acting at the age of 15. I was in a boys school. I was quite nerdy, pretty quiet. Uh, The chances of me ever meeting a member of the opposite sex were very, very low percentages. (laughs) And then one of my equally geeky mates said, oh, the the girls school at Rode are doing a school play, come on come on early, because we all called each other by our surnames. You know, it's that long ago. And I went, oh, no, 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 all right then. And um, there was a wonderful man called Paul Ward, who was, he taught drama. We didn't have a drama department, no one taught drama in our school, Um, but the girls' school had a drama department. And I went up there and met these amazing exotic creatures. And from being no good at sport and not cool and not having any fashionable clothes to suddenly getting some attention was, Utterly intoxicating. I couldn't get enough of it, and I decided after one school play, only playing a small part, Le Beau in As You Like It, but oh, I camped it up. Um, and then I announced to the world. Oh, I camped it up. That. I did, I did. I've, I've always kind of veered towards i have to be very careful that I just don't like, turn into a sort of very very queeny old bloke from Leicester. <laughs> 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 leaving me little brim lists around, and that. Not that there's anything wrong with having rim- limp rim- wrists. Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> except, nice disclaimer. But,
1: yeah absolutely i just kind of think i could go too far that way and never come back so yeah one school play decided that's the life for me i'm going to become an actor
0: i love um, that high diddly d an actor's life for me because i'm absolutely, getting
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah and, all, and all the lack of foresight and, and thought that goes with it <laughs> poor old pinocchio
0: yeah <laughs> and there's, there's such bravery as we up. know in in that quest to just hurl yourself into chance in that way and that's very yeah.
1: That was there was some then and when I left my first drama school were two points where i i don 't recognize that guy. I go, my goodness you were you were so young and yet you were so determined to kind of go your way
0: and now you talk about the Central School of Speech and Drama there when you said the first drama school was that not what you meant or? i um
1: i went to I went to the Birmingham School of Speech Training and Dramatic Art, or chappies as it was known in those days
0: Chappies, sorry i. am <laughs>
1: It was it was led by a lady, uh, Miss Ch- Chapman. It was Miss Chapman's school We called it Chappies. Chappies. Yeah. And it, it was an extraordinary place run by amazing, crazy, eccentric people. Uh, all very talented. Uh, for various reasons I left after a year, I decided I was uh, I fell in over the third year. She broke my heart, so I left in a huff, basically. And I covered it up with lots of other reasons, but that was that was what was going on hormones.
0: And is that the first time you fessed up that, that that's why you left, or have you? No, no. You know I,
1: usually, I'm, usually I'd, I'd have confessed much earlier than this. You know, <laughs> not, it's it's taken it me time. To me this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I left her and wasted a lot of time. Did lots of sort of. Um, do you remember manpower? Do you remember the agency? You could yes, sign- I do. Temp jobs, loads and loads of jobs there. And then auditioned for London drama schools and uh, ended up going to Central.
0: And by the way, we nearly overlapped and I'm sorry that we didn't. But hey, that's the notion of time. You left in 81 and I started in 1982 to do the teaching degree.
1: Oh, I'd forgotten about the Central connection because I always think of you as Bristol. I assume that you're trained there.
0: Well, like you going to two drama schools, I was similarly greedy in that I did my teaching degree following my father's advice. If you want to be an actor, be a teacher first. He's still alive and I'm very grateful to him because all the transferable skills are still there. But then post uh, the teaching degree at the Central School of Speech and Drama or Screech and Trauma. I don't know whether you called it that too. But then we ended up at the Bristol. I ended up going to the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School as well to do a postgraduate two year which brought us, in our timelines of overlap, uh, 1988 I graduated and then 1989, I had the extraordinary, sincere privilege of being with you in that production of Hamlet in Salisbury at the Playhouse.
1: Well, hey, <laughs> yay. Yeah, so um, I think kind of everything from the age of 15, even even though my relationship with acting has been quite ambivalent at times, you know, I've, yeah. I've given it up. Uh, I still meet people who say, I thought you'd given up, Colin. And I go, yeah, well, uh, tried <laughs> um but definitely i kind of that, that's who i am you know what i do and who i am
0: did you mind um, me asking have you ever had a cunning plan b if you when you, on those moments when you did step down because i'm assuming manpower wouldn't give you the soul food or the soul chime that you're looking for
1: no i had a very cunning plan b and a cunning plan c too so plan b one of the times i gave up acting because acting stupid um i became a writer I, i'm gonna be a writer now and hit exactly the same creative walls that you do as an actor, very quickly. And I went, oh, oh it's a bit hard, this. <laughs> <laughs> so I went skulking back to, to the stage with my tail between my legs, and then, then I noticed all these comedians were getting fantastic acting jobs. Do you remember when art was in the West End and they just kept getting more comedians? Yes, and so I do. I thought, that's, that's the answer. I'll do some stand-up, then I can be in art. And they won't know i'm an actor they'll think i'm a comedian and everything will be brilliant <laughs> so, so i started um, dabbling in those open mic nights wow Which, yeah I, I reckon i my poor partner at the time jan and, and my boy joe they, they hardly saw me uh, i don't know if you've ever done those open mic nights but you but you book a slot you've got five minutes usually and you spend a whole evening in a pub waiting for your five minutes so you're staying sober and then quite often, quite regularly, someone who's a bit higher up the food chain than you would suddenly appear and go, oh, I just want to try out some material. And then you're you bumped. You're gone. You, oh, no. Um, bumped and well, sober. <laughs> bumped and sober in a pub. Nightmare. <laughs> so uh, I did wonder what what the hell I was doing. I mean, I learnt loads. Because, I mean, the, fir- the first few went fine. And I went, oh, I'm obviously just a natural genius at this. But then, of course, you start to see, you know, people say, oh, what about this? And what about that? And, and as I started working on it and the whole thing fell apart.
0: Uh, when and you try to overthink the craft of it, maybe. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, someone said, well, that's not really stand up what you're doing. And I go, oh, right. OK, then. Um,
0: oh, that's and, interesting. So you're sort of reverting to monologuing then because of your acting sort of muscle.
1: Yeah, I had a, a theory. That's quite a good theory. Uh, I, I was convinced, having watched lots and lots before I do it to my own towing. Uh, I, I was watching people live or die by the laugh. And you think, well, it's comedy, that fair enough. But I was convinced that if I got a good enough story that the laughter could be there or not be there and it would still be, you know, it would still earn its dinner as a piece. And I was kind of right.
0: I think uh, you are kind of right. That sounds like a, a, a wonderful proposition, actually, because it's all about the story, because mm-hmm. I think what you've defaulted to is your love and joy of, of telling stories.
1: Yes. Exactly. And suddenly I was able to tell a story that, that I'd written down and made up and imagined. So I got lots out of that. The, the days when things didn't go well, because my stories tended to be more than five minutes, so I'd chop them to bits and they'd fall apart. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, quite a few times, I'd be on the tube at 11.30 at night crying. <laughs> it's like A bloke in his 40s, tears going down and down his cheeks, going, oh, that didn't go well. Um, but they were the ones I really learned from when it, when it didn't go well
0: and in your timeline what what sort of period was this because obviously i i met you very uh, profoundly just before 1990 it's such a long time ago i get that but when were you on the this tube
1: this would be about 10 years later uh-huh yeah um i'd hit another of my plateaus uh, so, so having kind of had all the fun in rep moving to london and going from like three weeks to learn hamlet to 10 weeks to learn three lines at the national yes I I, I didn't know how to deal with that at all. Yes, And and, um, the small fish, I I found myself to be in in the sharp elbows of the environment.
0: And have you bumped into people over time who just suddenly hold you in the sunshine again and say, keep going, keep going, that idea of just keep swimming? Um, Because, you know, I'm thinking I wish I'd met you on the tube because I'd have made you feel good about yourself. Because, boom, (laughs) this man (laughs) is astonishing.
1: Yeah, we're sibs, though, aren't we? We're Uh, what, sorry? We're sieves. So sieves? people do say nice things and do encourage me and it just, it, I'll go, oh, thank you. And I'm okay for about 0.3 seconds. What's a sieve, sorry? A sieve. You know, so, when you are a very sorry, a sieve. Yeah, yeah I understand. You don't That's you apologise, it's my accent. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's not, the, it's not what, you'd, what you'd expect to hear. Oh, we are sieves. Uh, but yeah, for praise and, and uh, affirmation of that, I find that that disappears through the little holes very quickly. Yes. Whereas anything negative is, is lumpy and gets stuck there, doesn't it? And carry that around with you for decades. Well,
0: the, the general stereotypical psychology is say something nice and it just washes off you, say something bad and it goes like a ball bearing into your stomach straight away clang.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And finds a, finds a little corner where it won't go any further. <laughs> and you can't yeah, shoot you it out. It.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, sorry, back to the, yeah. the shaping of you. We've so, only done
1: one thing, haven't we? One shape thing. It's great, um, though. God, got to say children, got to say the children. Um, and again, again, it's, you know, I'd like to say, oh, yes, they were a blessing and everything was wonderful. And it changed my life and I've never looked back and, and all that. But uh, if I'm being honest, I've had quite a lot of ambivalence about that as well. I, I started two families, not at the same time. <laughs> <I had two laughs> so my first attempt was with a wonderful lady called Jan. And we had a boy called Joe, who's now 26 and he's wonderful. And then I ran away from home. I I felt trapped, whatever. I I just I ran, uh, left Jan and then um, started another family a few years later with Rachel, who's also wonderful. And I've got three more boys, Sasha, Pip and Alfie. And so I've been a parent for a long time. Uh, Not a particularly good one. I was was going to think, well, what, what would you want from a dad? And I've not always been very present. I've not I'm certainly not a um, a stereotypical male role model, you know, here's how you do your woodwork, here's how you drive a car, here's how you do this. Um, And not even always nice, Then you know, you can't be all the time. So um, there've been times when I've been a bit unstable and quite quite weepy, quite volatile, and they've had to ride that. You know, I've never been violent or anything, but uh, I've not been a, a rock for them. At times uh, but the the gifts they have brought and also they drain you energy wise then you get no sleep all your money's gone uh, <laughs> can't go off on tour that was a big one for me can't go and do find my little clearing um <clears throat> but the gifts they brought are just fantastic you know i've rediscovered so much of the stuff that um that makes life interesting and fun the, the playing and 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 the unconditional love as well that you get some of the time <laughs> so uh i i i think i needed to have kids to open up my heart my shriveled little heart it was kind of filming over so the universe provided me with um some lessons if you like and gifts they, yes. they are they're gifts they're beautiful it's such
0: a wonderful description of the the human conditioner it reminds me of you know acting it's not just about acting because it's about life but life is conflict and rudy shelley at the bristol theater school who was the ancient mystic did you ever meet him rudy shelley
1: I wish i had i heard so many rudy stories from various people
0: in fact i might bored you whilst i was in the grave doing the grave digger. but um <laughs> he, he would say you know acting is reacting and then he would say ducky and then the thing that he would say was that the, the ultimate conflict is how we go about to make ourselves happy and we are all as we know good bad shit or indifferent at that proposition and and you're describing beautifully the sort of the the ebbs the flows the highs the lows of the human condition and you you you're doing it very honestly and authentically and i really commend you for that
1: cheers mate cheers <laughs> i think a lot of it comes from um a, my perception now is a, a lack of direction a lack of drive there been the, just the occasional moments deciding to go to drama school to be an actor deciding to leave one drama school and go out go out on my own you know yes there's a few moments where i've gone that was i was crystal then i was absolutely yes. clear and sharp but they're quite few those moments
0: and uh, do you find they give you enough sucker whenever you find them again because obviously your your moments in the in the sunshine of your alchemy and your gold as an actor are not over now, this is a weird time in everyone's history it's not over mm. And it's easy to say that outside looking in, isn't it? Because, you know, the next job will come because of the calibre of the man.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I think I, I've shifted quite a lot. There was a period a while back where I realised that all the fun I had was in places where that didn't look so good on your CV. You know, I'd been to the National, I've been to the Royal Shakespeare Company, I've been to the Globe lots, had some great times at the Globe, but the, the really special alive times, those peaks were happening with a group of mates. There was a group called The Factory Um, that was...
0: Was that The Custard Factory? Sorry, I'm just trying to remember. No,
1: no, this was a a bunch of misfits, a bunch of actors led led by um, a lad called Alex Hassel and another lad called Tim Evans. They were young actors. They went, we want to carry on workshopping. And they just made it happen. And they got um, my my kind of favourite director in the world, Tim Carroll, involved. And then he became quite a core member of this group who just grew and grew it in, 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 terms of courage and, and, um, It sounds it... a
0: bit equivalent to the, do you remember the wrestling school who got together to, um, amplify the work of Howard Barker? Uh, it mm-hmm. sounds very much like you're, you're there to amplify each other as this sort of core talented ensemble where you all saw each other's ability and capability.
1: Yes. Yes. We had like a, a, a a big team if you like and then the squad would be narrowed down to who's going to do it we, about once a week once they spent a year workshopping once a week then did an intensive that i wasn't around for and then they started they thought well the next stages was let's get invite some people in to watch it was a version of hamlet funnily enough um but the um the audience decided who was going to play hamlet who was going to play fort brass you, you do like stone paper scissors, scissors. this is I mean, everyone does it now, but this was like 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: I love that. The I haven't heard it described like that. The rock, paper, scissors as to who's going to do Ophelia, who's going to do Hamlet. You
1: know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the audience brought, they supplied the props and there'd be an MC. So at the end of each act, because the act divisions are the real divisions in Shakespeare's play, it's not not an interval halfway through. Uh, at the end of each act, um, the the MC might decide to shake things up. Okay, act two, uh, is all is all overlapping. If you don't overlap, I'm going to buzz you. And then, and then Act Three, you're not allowed to be on the ground while you're talking. Um, well, act Four, puppets. it's So puppets. reminiscent. Of
0: the, the best type of theatre training, because at the theatre school, we would, Rudy Shelley would famously get people to hold chairs up in the air during your audition speech, yeah. which would be, a, which was what was teaching you about the nature of a side activity. If you do something else, it often brings you out of your head, and then you start to be more authentic.
1: Exactly. That's exactly bang on in there on the head there yeah um anything anything to um stop us doing our acting
0: yes he used to say danger actor at work as if you're surrounded <laughs> by um someone with a sort of pneumatic drill acting oh stop acting <laughs> darling <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's a bit dangerous that talk isn't it because because acting is wonderful and, and should be respected yes but but the, we know what we mean when we say oh a bit of acting going on there Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: When it stops being truthful, that's the moment, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And uh, that's, that's the thing that we, the main lesson all of us got from the factory was that, um, that release, that surrender, act of surrender, if you like. Uh, so Tim Carroll would do a, anything he could to make sure you couldn't plan. And if he caught you planning, then, then you lost points basically. And I used to, cause I love trying to get around the rules. So I'd plan and plan and plan, say, see if I can get away with this. And uh, very occasionally I'd think, oh, I'm getting away with my plan. And then something would happen. i go, I don't need a plan. This is much more interesting what he's doing. Let's go and jump in there. So um, very, very in tune with um, a lot of what you've been doing with your, with your improvisation. We were just f- finding ways to improvise, but with a fixed point of the verse, the words in the correct order. And then everything else, you're just trying to be as spontaneous and Uh, responsive and truthful
0: as you can and it comes full circle I mean it is the mindset of yes and yes and yes and you're describing but my favorite actors and you know again I'm not just playing smirk at you but you are you are for me in my career in the limited exposure I've had you are the best actor I've been on stage with and it's all about listening you know it really is about listening and the the knowledge that what you say next is because you've listened if you're good
1: yeah yeah that's I'm One of one of the big joys I get is when I'm teaching, when I'm working with drama students, um, getting them to give themselves permission to be active listeners. It's the hardest thing, you know. My training, as far as I can remember, was um, don't pull focus. I became like world champion still standing person. I could stand still for hours, and then I'd wonder why I was a bit bored with acting, you know. But I was a good little soldier. Don't pull focus.
0: Do you, do you, by the way, do you remember that lovely story, which is stereotypical about uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, going to an actor who just started in the new ensemble and he wandered over to him and said, what are you doing? And the actor said, well, I'm I'm going to be doing nothing. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm doing nothing. <laughs> and of course he was really famous. And by the way, you, you, you have um, echoes. I think I mentioned this when I was working with you, you had echoes for me of Anthony Hopkins when I met you. But um, this idea of, um, yes, it's that really. <laughs> I'm doing nothing, but the competition to do nothing.
1: <laughs> Great stuff.
0: I'm back into the clearing and the structure. We're, we're still listening to things that have shaped you. You've had your kids as the last thing, and we've done a wonderful yes. further exploration into the clearings of acting, which I'm really enjoying.
1: Yeah, well, that, I was. I'd, I'd go. I, I, I talked about how getting lost quite often. <laughs> so the year two thousand and one, I was lost again. <laughs> I'm thinking, I, you know, I was, again, I was going through the usual. Oh, I'm going to stop now. I can't. I can't be doing any acting. It's, you know, I'm really unhappy. and miserable. And, and then I went to the Globe. I've been i got a friend who was she was um a cherry, she was Mark Rylance's assistant for a long time while the place was being built. And she was Sam Wanamaker's assistant. Before that, she was an enthusiast. And she kept talking about this amazing project, the Globe. And I'd go, oh, yeah, I don't think I like the sound of that. No roof and, oh, you know. <laughs> um, and she kept saying, Come on down, come and have a look. Come on. you know, I think you'd really like them and you know I was going, no. Eventually she said She said, just come and have a coffee, Colin. Come and have a coffee. The place had been built by now, so we, you know, I spent 10 years not going anywhere near the place. I said, all right, I'll come and have a coffee. Uh, And we had a coffee and a good old chat. She's a great girl. And she said, why don't you just come and have a little look at the place while you're here? And so she took me through these great big wooden doors and there was the globe. And my jaw just dropped to the ground and it hit my chest. Wow. It hit my heart. Uh, and, so uh, I
0: just breathed you, in. And went. So sorry to interrupt you. That was probably a very bad interruption. It, I, I just am gobsmacked with the fact that you had to be dragged like a stubborn donkey into the globe. <laughs> and yet someone had the tenacity to keep tugging at you because she knew you were about to get a soul chime.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that convinced me. <laughs> so then I met this guy. Um, they were doing the Scottish play the next year. Um and so um the, the casting director got me in to meet this guy, Tim Carroll. Um and they had their they had their Scottish King, they had Macbeth. So they were looking at um Duncan or Banquo. said, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, you've been around a long time, you've done a lot of Shakespeare, you know, Duncan or Banquo. And I read a bit of Banquo. And I read a bit of Duncan and then I and then I just stopped and I went, I'm sorry. <laughs> I stopped mid scene. I'm sorry, I can't take myself seriously playing these parts. And uh, and Tim Carroll was quite a ferocious young man at that point. He did this kind of kill face and looked at me and then he said, um, well, what what do you think you could take yourself seriously doing then seeing as you're here? And I remember kind of shrugging and going, I don't know, one of the witches? Um, and we left and um, I thought, well, that's that's another audition blown. <laughs> Um, But then I got got, got the call saying, yeah, do you want to come and be a witch? Wow. Yeah.
0: I suppose that that must have surprised everybody, your answer. That surprised me and that must have surprised him. And the notion of surprise is just beautiful. I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if I hadn't said that, I wouldn't have worked there because I didn't do anything else in the audition that would have made anyone interested. Yes. Uh, But I still had my doubts about him. Uh, So I phoned up a mate who had worked with Tim Carroll. Um, And I said, look, I've just met this guy, Tim Carroll. I'm not sure, but, you know, there was something going on there, but it seemed a bit edgy. Uh, is he a bit of a knob? I said. And my mate said, funnily enough, I've just got off the phone to Tim Carroll, who's just said, I've just met this guy <laughs> called Colin early. I'm not sure, but is he a bit of a knob? <laughs> I love that. That's the
0: mirror up to nature right there. That's just yeah. beautiful. By the way, there's another delicious quote for us both, which is what's meant for you won't pass you by. And I love the fact that the, you're just donkeyed into the globe going, "do <laughs> oh, shit, a bed. Here it is.
1: Yeah.
0: And, Tim, yeah. and Tim Carroll, I love that. You've got the sort of echoing n- knob construct. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So um, so this lad... Um, Will have he, you ever had that
0: conversation with him, by the way? Oh, yes, yes. Of course you have.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, that's how we, you know, we verified it with each other, and um, yeah, he, he I, I often refer to myself as a born again actor, and that's because of meeting the Globe and meeting Tim, and then all the other things that ran on from there. The yeah. other, the other missing piece I haven't mentioned is, is teaching. It was at the Globe that I got up the courage to start doing workshops and leading workshops and all that, and that became a massive strand of my practice for about yes. ten, fifteen years.
0: And you're such, that's such a natural segue for you outside looking in, because of course, you know, you're such a, you know, an expert in the speaking of Shakespeare that, that of course you should teach it.
1: Well, that's, that's what stopped me for so long was thinking, oh, you have to be an expert. You'd have to know so much to teach it. And, um, like a lot of us, I've never, I never felt like a new much at all. Um, the, the lovely discovery once I started leading workshops was that it wasn't about imparting my knowledge that it was much more about getting people playing and enabling them and then just making sure. Um, I I had a teacher at Central called David Terence who once said something, he said, the only thing between you, talking to all of us, the only thing between you and absolute genius is yourself. Wow. Yeah, that's what's stopping us all from doing our great acting. And I saw him putting that into practice. I saw him work on a student, getting rid of all his nonsense, all his nonsense. And then suddenly seeing this lad, Scotty, for the first time in two years, being absolutely amazing, simple, truthful, clear, like a bell, pure. It was amazing. And then, like a lot of us, um, my mate Scotty then covered it all back up again because it was so alien. It was so far away from his experience of what you would normally do if you're acting. Wow. I
0: love that clear as a bell that just, I wanted to just let that hang. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. And that's that's my favourite actors. When you see there's there's no tricks there. I can't see the joins. I don't know how you're doing that. And I experienced that obviously with Mark Rylance quite a lot. He's the one actor that I've watched in rehearsal and gone, I don't know how you're doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But also lots and lots of times in the fact with the factory, I'd see dozens of other actors through the games and the pressure and the exercise and the, and the lack of being allowed to bring your shtick, there'd be times when they, we did a, um, a sort of an improvised version of the seagull, So it was a different translation every night. We'd worked out all the units, all the beats. And then I'd, if, if I turn up and they didn't need me for the squad, I'd sit and watch, watch it. And I'd, I knew the play inside out. I knew all the games yeah. and I still was going, how, how, how are you doing that? Yeah Yeah. Pure magic
0: deftly and beautifully put so we're still listening to the lovely colin hurley here in the good listening to podcast with me chris grimes i think we've nearly arrived at the end of shaking the tree for the four things that have shaped you
1: yes uh this one's a bit of an odd one i'd say alcohol
0: <laughs> tell me more you you played toby belch i know that <laughs> <laughs> by the way so have i before i came to the old Vic theatre school i i played uh, sir toby belch so i relate. but enjoy it,
1: Chris, Did you enjoy playing Toby Belch?
0: I loved it. The, the It was an American director called Eileen Quinn. The name, I had no idea that was going to come to me, but it did. And her wonderful conceit for getting me to play it was that her brother uh, was an alcoholic and he never had time to eat because he was too busy drinking. So he was very rake thin. And I was much, I was a bit like a stick insect back in the day. This would be 1984 or five. And so she said, look, I really need you to play the character. And I said, well, so Toby Belch, we think of you know the full stars. So he needs to be. I mean, you know how you're looking now—the bushy-faced Shakespearean muse. Yeah. You'd expect that's that's the Toby Belch right there. But it was quite interesting to sort of turn it on its head and go for a rakish. Because normally it's ague cheek that's the rake, isn't it?
1: Mm. Mm. So anyway, yeah, like... I wasn't sure, but when I got offered it, I thought, well, it's a nice big part. And then I read the part. Oh, it's hard. I don't understand that. And and I was thinking, oh, why not Fest?e Why not Malvolio? You know, <laughs> the usual nonsense. But you did
0: bring um, your toys out I- your pram and say, look, I can't take myself seriously doing
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no, I was much more desperate than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it would be a you know I knew it would be a, a great experience. You know, Mark was there and Tim was there and quite a few mates. I thought oh, it'll be good. It'll be good. Yes um and of course it, that um, went to new
0: york as well didn't it that was an amazing did,
1: yeah we did we did we did a sort of because it had been done 10 years earlier and i played antonio um 10 years earlier and then bill stewart the lovely actor who played toby belch when i was in it before um he, he died so couldn't really be expected to turn up for the matinees and stuff <laughs> so um, so they got me in instead um and i, and I kind of um I thought oh well you know it'll be worth doing and be worth watching everybody couldn't see myself doing it so i couldn't see myself not seriously maybe because yes. i don't know anyway i had my doubts but the gift there was i didn't have to do anything everyone else was so amazing it was i was playing with my mates and uh, i very very quickly didn't have to worry about what i was doing at all
0: again it's such a, a brilliant
1: problems <laughs>
0: It's the notion of ensemble again which is so beautifully coming through there the idea of just being just playing in the sunlight in the clearing of the theatre roundel
1: as you're yes, saying yes now, now that's something realising.
0: sorry sorry i wondered if we'd lost each other sound wise there did it snag for you or are you still here
1: have we frozen no i'm just wish at zoom mate that lag gets me every time oh <laughs> no we've frozen
0: well, well if we have frozen it won't it's matter we can stop hand. and start can, am I frozen? Am I frozen?
1: You're not frozen. Am I frozen? No,
0: you're back. I think you're back in the room. No, so let's you're see. not frozen. Am let's I <laughs> Come in, Tokyo. I think we're still here, aren't we? I've got a... Worst case scenario, we can clear off and come back in again. But... I can
1: hear you, yes.
0: There's a slight lag. Do you want to go out and oh, come no, in? Again? I just
1: got a little notice of...
0: You've got a... a, 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 uh, a... Let me just walk around the chair hey nonny nonny walk around the chair see if that works <laughs> nice walking around the chair there you lovely go. by the way did you, you do did you do the illyria thing yeah. as malvolio there somewhere do you know what i think we might need to stop and start again that we can we can piece this together it can be edited together so should we should we stop and come back and we'll do this as part two
1: all right Mark.
0: so same place see okay. you in a minute
1: bye all right then
0: see you in a minute Oh, by the way, it takes a, little, right. a little bit of time right. for the video to upload. So I'll be back as soon as we can. <laughs> the comedy of Zoom. Good listening to podcast okay, Colin Hurley back soon. Well, that was interesting. We're back in the room. We had a bit of a snag there on the uh, comedy uh, um, of Zoom, uh, comedy improvisation of Zoom. So we're still here with Colin Hurley. Woohoo. And I think we finished. We're talking about alcohol and your relationship to it. And this is the last of the apples that shaped you, I believe.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Shaped by alcohol. I um, <clears throat> come from uh, a drinking background, working class, um, Leicester, Midlands. That's what you did. You know, you tried to go out as early as possible. You know. <clears throat> I, I had to wait till I was almost 18 anyway before I could drink just because I had such a baby face. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, my brothers found a place called the Irish Club where they, they could go drinking from about the age of 12, from what I can gather. So, That's the virtues um, of
0: the Irish club right there.
1: <laughs> oh boy, yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, I think, not, I, didn't, I don't have a big issue. I'm not an alcoholic. I've got a brother, well, I had a brother who's alcoholic. Um, so we, you know, I, know, <clears throat> I know what that is. But um, my other brother loves to drink. And I never saw myself drinking much, but found that it was happening every day. And I think, for me, um, well, there are two two things with alcohol. One, if it wasn't for alcohol, I'd probably still be a virgin today. So you know, gratitude <laughs> that.
0: Thanks. Um,
1: but, then, but then the other, the the, the longer term thing is, I think I've let it blunt me, or I've used it to blunt myself ah. at times. So. Um, it's, it's an easy way out sometimes isn't it oh you know I'm, i can't do any more work now because i'm having a drink or um, the, the the dry Januarys that i've started doing uh, face me confront me with that unpalatable truth that if you don't drink you have more energy you think clearer you sleep better you can get fit more easily and i just i so don't want it to be true because i really don't <laughs> I'm denying it and also with each decade that goes by, you can get away with less, can't you?
0: Yes. Again, you're searingly honest about that. And I think, so how, did you succeed in your dry January this year or that was a wish?
1: Oh, well, because I got COVID just before Christmas. Ah. So um, I, I couldn't eat anything for a week. I couldn't drink. I tried, but I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I really tried. <laughs> I did, mate. I did. Uh, so it was the easiest start. I had a rolling start to dry January and it was the easiest it's ever been. Yeah, I did the whole the whole month.
0: And in but fact, when we spoke, you had been taken quite hard by COVID, hadn't you? It really yeah. taught you for six.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, it was sort of textbook. The older you are, the hard, the, the the worse the symptoms are. Right. I was I was in bed. I couldn't I couldn't even watch telly. I couldn't even read a book. Wow. It was pretty nasty. Flu just doesn't. I mean, I remember having what I think was flu when I was at drama school, and was. I couldn't get out of bed I was hallucinating but it was like three or four days right and then done but th- now this was it was the first time that my partner's really been worried about me uh-huh. the first time that I, I couldn't kind of just dismiss it either
0: and were there any work demands on you during that period or this is that's the irony is there's nothing going on so you can just sleep presumably I,
1: I was able to stay in bed <clears throat> and we had Christmas dinner in mid-January I think
0: Without a glass of aquavit, by the sound of it. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. Uh, but um, I, think, I think that the not drinking in January helped to kind of mask some of the longer term effects of the COVID. Yes. They'll go, oh, I'm not too bad, not too bad, not too bad. And now with wet February behind me, uh, I'm realising now and now I think maybe I need a few more dry months just to, just to balance out. It's uh, very
0: relatable, by the way. I just happened to be on a path of I just decided because I picked the wrong pandemic to give up red wine. Not uh, not chronically. (laughs) Uh, It was that M&S cheesy scones. Uh, But anyway, um, not together. But I'm on a path just to see if I can January to March and I'm doing okay so far. And I nearly did it last weekend. I thought, you know, what, I'll just have a glass of wine, but I'm I'm just going to do it so I can think I can do it. Mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I think we've shaken your tree about shaping. Now it's three things that inspire you, uh, Colin Hurley.
1: Yeah, um, I'd have to put my sons in there. They, they inspire me, you know, whatever else they've done to me, they've inspired me many a time. Uh, a lot of my teaching involves stories about Alfie. Um, when I'm working on acting, you know, I, I talk a lot about, um, I'll tell you one of my stories, one, one of my Alfie stories, because he's great. So when he was when he turned 4 Alfie decided to stop calling me uh, daddy. Okay. So after his fourth birthday, he come into the bedroom and he go, "Hello Mommy. Hello Daddy." No, sorry, I no, was hello Mommy, hello Colin, you know, and and, um, and then off we go to play on the iPad or whatever. So we had a few days of this, you know, "Morning Mommy, morning Colin." Uh, and then fourth fourth or fifth day I, I just stopped. I'd like, oh, "Yeah, "Alfie, before you go, mate. Um I know you're four and everything, but but you do know, you, you can still call me daddy if you want, yeah? And Alfie looked at me and he went, I know that, Colin. <laughs> and off he went. <laughs> so that's my intro to Alfie. Uh, but then when I'm teaching um, uh, being physical with the Shakespeare kind of, and, and like, treat, you know, responding to each other, um, there's a thing that Alfie taught me a couple of years after his fourth birthday. He was always very good at going to school. we would always, like, walk to school, he'd skip to school, he'd run, he'd jump back, and it was great. Um, and it suddenly changed. Suddenly I was having to drag him to school. I hate school. I don't want to go to school. Oh, the school's horrible. Da, 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 da. So I had a couple of days of dragging, tug, tug of war. And then it occurred to me <laughs> um, that perhaps I should ask him what was going on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good parenting right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Finally, a penny dropped two days later. Um, so we're halfway to school. he goes, I don't want to go to school. School's horrible. So I said, Alfie, what is it? You used to love coming to school. What, what is it? What's gone wrong? Is it, you know, I'm thinking it might be a, it might be being bullied or, or maybe there's just a teacher with a really loud voice and scaring him or whatever. I said, what is it about school that you don't like now? And Alfie went, it's the learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's the learning. So I heard that loud and clear. Um, and thought, I, I thought I spotted a, Opportunity to score some dad points, you know. I thought, oh, I, I know I can empathize, and you know, this'll go well. And uh, so I said, Oh, the learning, the learning is, yeah, it's the learning. I said, uh, Does it make your brain hurt? Thinking, result, you know, there you go, nice one, dad. Uh, and Alfie went, No, no, it makes my skin bored. What a
0: great thing to say! What an yeah. answer, yeah, my skin bored. <laughs>
1: And if you're in the middle of trying to teach people to trust their senses, the story lands, you know, because uh, we, we do all this, with Shakespeare, especially. It's, ah, oh, yes, I understand. But yes. it's got to hit your body in your boots, your bones, your body and your skin. You know, it's, it's, the, it's this massive organ. It's the biggest yes. organ we have. And yet we don't trust it. You
0: I know, love that. that makes my skin bored. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. yeah, he had this little period of time of wisdom, if you like, where yeah. he identified with his skin. My skin's happy today. And that day, and that day, school was making his skin bored. And do you remember
0: how you answered in the spirit of yes, and when he said that, with you thinking you just scored a parenting goal? Then he gave you that really
1: wonderful surprise. No, no, I had nothing, mate. <laughs> I came up with nothing. I just, I just carried on dragging him to school. I think. <laughs>
0: By the way, you just made me remember that um, when you, back when we were in our play together, you know, when you were being Hamlet, uh, you saying the word pernicious was. Uh, it taught me the word with how you said it. So I, I do relate to the idea that there are sudden moments when there's this, the, the living, the word, um, just the word pernicious, That just that's just reminded me of that. And and how to make sense of Shakespeare is a real challenge, I know.
1: That's it, because we, well, unfortunately we've we presented, you know, we, we tend to meet Shakespeare as black squiggles on the page. Yes. And we're expecting this this amazing writing to go in through our eyes, through yes. our brains, And and it was written to go in your ear. Yeah. And, and, of course, when, when you're moving in a space, uh, and, and the globe taught me loads as well, you know, it's a 3D space, so we're not going to be yes. a postcard. You work in the circle all the time. Yes. It all falls into place, and you realise that, you know, if someone's behind you, you feel differently to the in front of you. If someone's yes. moving towards you, you feel different if they're moving away. And all that stuff informs um, the sounds you make. Yes. And so the wooden
0: glow of the globe, and then, the, obviously the Henry V, Chorus idea of the wooden o is, is you know again it's coming full circle back to the clearing and this is just lovely what you're describing. So um
1: your children and yeah. Alfie is what inspires you. I'm, I'm amazed really. What what? Yeah, I'm amazed that I didn't put just put the globe. As, I I'm, I'm amazed that I mean, we got to the globe as a clearing space in the end. But it's so <laughs> obvious, isn't it? Now I think about it. <laughs> but again, had to be dragged, kicking and screaming.
0: <laughs> well, there was a lovely <laughs> resonance there with with Alfie yeah. being dragged to school and you being dragged to the globe and you were going to learn a lot. The learning yeah. was going to make your skin bored, not bored. it's going to make it tingle. <laughs> You're going to get goosebumps. That's what happened probably. Yeah.
1: Yes, very much so, yeah. So, uh, know, than... The others have taught me a lot as well. Yep. The other boys have taught me loads and loads. Um, I guess working with um, drama students and with teachers, all the workshops and that, I've been very inspired by that work because as you know, um, you know you, you think you've gone in there with a plan to impart some great wisdom or knowledge or whatever. you've got the skills like, here here they come, you're going to get my skills. Um, and then very quickly you um, you meet the group and then stuff happens. Yes. Uh, that's, that's at the heart of um, playing the globe as well. That's where the, why the globe teaches us so much about Shakespeare's plays. You've got this space um, that's as close as we can get to the space it was writing for, so mm. it makes sense. But also you you can't you can't push the audience around. You have to meet them and make some sort of a deal about what kind of night you're going to have.
0: And you used the word enabler much many, many um, minutes ago. But just the idea of a a director, a teacher being an enabler of others within that clearing is a wonderful thing. And um, yes, that's the resonance, I thought, in what you're describing there. And I also heard a really lovely quote about the best teaching, the best directing. Because obviously you must be a natural director then because you're directing people through you know the clarity of shakespeare but the best resource a good facilitator director can bring into the room is themselves mm-hmm. so not over planning but just being very present and open and receptive to what's going to come back the law of reciprocity
1: yes yeah there's um there's a phrase that you'll have heard uh, some american general said plans are useless planning is essential
0: yes yes yeah. let that float <laughs> so we're, we're still shaking your apples because I'll, I'll keep bringing us back to the structure. And now it's two things that never fail to grab your attention in the squirrels way.
1: Now, I've got one more thing that inspires me. Oh,
0: I'm so sorry. Please do.
1: If you don't mind, John. No, no, uh, please. <laughs> uh, it ties in with, with the, uh, the shortlist for clearings, I guess. Um, being somewhere else inspires me. I was looking to spend uh, five months in New York. And there have been times when I've been on tour and I just get, you know, it's like when you go somewhere new, you, you look up. Whereas when you're at home, you never look up, do you?
0: Very well put indeed.
1: Yes. Um,
0: and of course, well, our wings have been clipped profoundly in the last year of not being able to fly the nest in that way to explore. Mm. So yeah. are you champing at the bit to get on the open road of exploration again?
1: I found new roads, I think, Chris. You have to. you? Yeah, yes. We all have. So um, i finally ridden a bike properly for the first time since I was six years old. When I was six, I came off my bike and and decided that's it. I'm never getting on one of them again.
0: <laughs> you had one of your, another another of your very well-placed hissy fits. I'm not doing that. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I sulked with my bike. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I learned to walk because, you know, <laughs> I could have just been down there going, well, now, that's too dangerous. By the way, I completely
0: relate to that, to not the falling off, but but my bike is my freedom. I love my bike. It mm-hmm. absolutely is my freedom. And during the pandemic, I got twonked off mine because a dog said hello to my A-frame and I had that. I haven't fallen off my bike for years, but then I was going over the handlebars, mouthing the words, oh, fuck, as you do when you're going to come off your bike. Mm-hmm. But it made me realise there was a parallel in the pandemic not being metaphorically an easy bike ride. You know, this, this whole period of our history has not been an easy ride
1: yeah yeah
0: so i'm sorry i nearly um cauterized your last thing that inspires you
1: yeah oh do you know what i've cheated on the inspiring thing as well because i've got to say books books inspire me and books could have been my um my clearing as well books 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 that's all i'll say on that subject
0: and what's if what are we reading at the moment dear what's our favorite book
1: well i um i've been getting any Jasper Ford books that I can. Have you heard of Jasper Ford?
0: I haven't. I'm going to write that down.
1: Jasper Ford. Yeah, with two Fs and an E on the end, Ford.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Yeah, if you if you like Terry Pratchett, you'll love Jasper Ford. Ah. He, he's created this world where um, it, um it's sort of pretty parallel to, to us, except that Swindon is a very happening place. <laughs> All the adventures happen. Which and is a
0: surprise have... to many when you say that. <laughs>
1: Anyone out there in Slowindon Sorry. Um, yeah, and he's created this world where um, there are all these different branches of the police force that deal with special areas, special territories. Like um, the, the normal police can't deal with time travel, so they've got the time travel police. And the normal uh, police can't deal with literature, like you know, characters coming out of books or people yeah. kidnapping characters in books. Lovely. So they've got the lit text for that. Um, and he. He just he just plays and plays and plays. It's,
0: it's- Are there any comedy police? Because that's where I'd have to worry. <laughs> you know, we mentioned the Great Escape at the very beginning. We had this construct of being the Great Escape from the comedy police. Continues with the next show. You <laughs> only ever one one sketch or scene away from being arrested by the comedy police by going stop. That was shit. You know.
1: <laughs> no, I think the comedy police. Um, the, everyone's a comedy policeman in house, yes. I'd say. Um, but they tend to be there not to st- you know, st- stop anything, just to encourage it. Uh, c- comedy gardeners, perhaps. Comedy curators.
0: And by the way, to give something back to you as well, the books that I read at the beginning of the pandemic w- were surprisingly dark. But out of it came this golden nugget of beauty about comedy. It was a trilogy about the cartel by Dan Wilmslow. Very, very dark, despairing. You know desperate but brilliant um and out of it with this golden nugget about comedy which has really helped me which is um we have to laugh because laughter as we already know is the first evidence of freedom nice by somebody called rosanna castellanos and that that inspired me a lot during this time about how comedy in a sense of humour needs to pull you and us towards our future mm-hmm. by keeping perspective lovely So two things that never fail to grab your attention. Squirrels books is one of those, or was that your cheating?
1: Other people's bookshelves. Ah, love that. They're just magnetic and uh, can't get away from them.
0: So if we always lose you, you're in the library, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's where I spent my A-level years, my lost A-level years. I failed my A-levels. I was bunking off school to go and sit in a library. (laughs) <laughs> I should have been taking drugs and, you know, smoking and all that stuff, but no, no, oh, my cunning plan, was to sit in a library all day. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that never fails to grab my attention is, is a television left off in the left, in the, left on in the background. Okay, very interesting. My household, we always, I struggle now still with, if I go and visit my mum, the telly is on. Uh, and, it, and there'd be another one in the next room as well. And when my dad was still alive, it was it was quite tricky to negotiate, you know, because I can't just storm in there. and I oh, please when you turn the telly off so we can have a conversation. Um, but you know, sometimes they turn it down a bit, but that that doesn't solve it for me. I'm still seeing flickering images and I...
0: yes, there's a distraction constantly. Then
1: yeah, yes. it's up there with multitasking. The myth of multitasking, I think.
0: I agree. I yes. Yeah. It is indeed a myth. We've not evolved as a species. We can't multitask.
1: (laughs) Well, certainly some of us can't. (laughs) I I refuse to even acknowledge it as a concept anymore. Yeah. So they'd be my two things. Other people's bookshelves and that darn flickering screen.
0: No one's ever answered in that way before. I commend you for that. And (laughs) now one quirky or unusual fact about you, as we shake your tree to come to the end of this section, but quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us.
1: Okay. now, there are a select few people who could know this, but there's not many of them. But my secret name is Dave Gorman.
0: Dave Gorman?
1: Dave Gorman. Right, and why is that... There are a lot of... Well, there's a uh, there's a, a lad called Dave Gorman, who used to do a comedy show, um, and he would basically he would use his life as a as um, uh, a laboratory, and so him and his mate Danny would come up with mad projects, and one of them was um, his mate Danny bet him one year that um, Dave Gorman wasn't that um, common a name or unusual a name, and they so he was set he set Dave the task of finding another fifty two. I think it was 52, Dave Cormans in the world. And so they made a show out of this. Dave Cormans. I remember it actually. Edinburgh. Well, I went along to his pre-Edinburgh version of it. So he got about six at the time and he was tracking down Dave Cormans and he was tracking out, because he's a mathematician. He was going, you know, how many miles per Dave Gorman does that, and he'd bring out a pinch <laughs> of chart. And, um, <clears throat> and this was the period when I, was, I went to see it because I was uh, studying comedy because I was thinking that's that was going to solve everything, all the problems in my life. Uh, so there I was in the audience, had a couple of ears, and Dave Gorman took us through his journey trying to find these Dave Gormans and he was going to carry on trying to find them. It got, I don't know, maybe 10, 12. And then, um, and then he said, uh, so, are there any Dave Gormans in, in tonight? And one bloke said, yeah, me. Uh, so Dave Gorman, oh, great, great, that's another Dave Gorman, I didn't have to travel for that, that brings the miles per day Gorman down. And then he said, um, is there anyone here who would be prepared to change their name to Dave Gorman? <laughs> Silence. And then he said, I'm offering 250 quid. I said, right, that's me. <laughs> I'm Dave. <laughs> yeah. And so um, the original deal was you change your name by deed poll to Dave Gorman. Yeah. And over 250 quid. It got watered down slightly uh, because we realized that, you know, there could be problems. You know, I'm an, I, next day I'm sober. And he calls me going, are you still on for Dave? I said, well, listen, mate, I'm an actor. I'm not sure about you. Um, but I didn't kind of say no totally. And so we came up with a compromise. There was me and another six people. Two of them were women. Right, all At the end of his quest, went down to a solicitor's and we signed a piece of paper to certify that we, we would be now called Dave Gorman. So it wasn't quite as official as a deed poll thing. Um, and we never got the money.
0: Oh, i like the fact we've stated that here you kept your side of the bargain but dave gorman didn't give you the 250 squids watered down though it was
1: well the small print the small print was it you know it's 250 quid for the deed poll.
0: okay so he's got you on a technicality i'm hearing there
1: yeah yeah and i don't begrudge him it it was he's a great bloke
0: i remember that was a very seminal show of its time that was like a moment in the sunshine where that was all the rage for a while wasn't it the the, yeah. I love the met- I love the measure of distance, how many Dave Gormans to the mile, <laughs> and all that should Yeah. Oh,
1: he's, he's got a wonderful mind, wonderful mind. And um, there's there's one casting. Do you know John Cannon, um, who does casting? Uh, the
0: name is familiar. yeah.
1: Yeah, he uh, casts one of those hospital things, I think. <coughs> um, but he saw he he saw it, and there was a little clip of me saying, "Yeah, I'll." And so he always calls me Dave now. If he gets me for something, I go, oh, Dave, come on in."
0: My son, Stan, and I call each other Dave all the time. In fact, my, I call my daughter Lily Dave. We, we have this ongoing... It's not connected to Dave Gorman, but all right, Dave, it's just what we do. <coughs> so, um, we've shaken your tree. Hurrah! Yeah. Now... We're still in the clearing. This is still Colin Hurley. I'm still Chris Grimes. This is still the Good Listening To podcast. Now we're going to move away from your tree and Colin Hurley, we're going to talk about alchemy and gold now. You've been giving me that in spades anyway, but I also like to think of it as being diamonds beneath our feet. So when you are here at purpose and in flow, doing what you love to do the most, what is the alchemy and the gold that Colin Hurley, Dave Gorman, likes to bring to the world?
1: Um. I'd flip it over, it's the reverse. If I can be open and receptive to all the gifts and notice and be awake and present, then, then the gifts arrive. So I mean, you bring yourself, don't you? you um, Anthony Hopkins, you know, learn your lines and turn up. So if you know your lines and you really are relaxed enough to notice stuff. Yeah, the way I I do it when I'm teaching sometimes, if I've got people on the actual Globe stage, I'd say, let's spend some time on Receive. Because as an actor, you tend to be encouraged to be on Transmit. Here's my performance, seeking approval, yeah? But just go on Receive. And that's what the best actors do. You know, they, they breathe and they notice stuff that they can then respond to. And so then the space between you all becomes very alive. And that would be my priority now, to be able to truthfully and instinctively respond straight away. You know when you're playing tennis, um, I play tennis really badly, I can't hit it, every now and then though a ball will come whizzing at me so fast i just stick my hand out and play a blinder. If you don't think about it, it happens.
0: Yes, the instincts. And
1: yeah. So, But, but finding, finding that state when you're in a play where there's so much that's in theory been set is, is a different kind of challenge. But that's where that's where the gold is for me, I think.
0: Beautiful. And it, it, it adds so much texture to the notion of subtext as well. What lies beneath the surface is this ability to be truly present in order to respond.
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- there is no wrong and no retreat, no surrender is another one. And that's something Tim Carroll used to make us do, even in re- if we're rehearsing. If you fluffed a line and you went, oh, oh, sorry, you know, you go, why are you doing that? Why are you saying, no sorry, I, yeah, if you don't say I'm sorry, then we won't know that that, that yes. was deliberate
0: so no retreat no surrender that's a lovely sort of way to put the cherry on the cake which is where we're going shortly so now we're arriving at the point where i'm going to award you with a cherry on the cake colin hurley for gracing us with your presence here and being in receptive listening mode on the good listening to podcast the cherry on the cake now it's particularly exciting to land this for you inspired by all the world's stage and Far be it from me to say, but all the men and women merely players and each man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. Um, We can talk about legacy, how you'd most like to be remembered, what you'd like your legacy to be. Or your favourite inspirational quote or what advice you might give to a younger version of yourself. It's just a wonderful final metaphor for you to leave us with a legacy of this conversation. So sorry, that's a multiple question, but it's open to you where you go with it
1: good I like it I like it Um, it's such a brilliant question how would you like to be remembered because as soon as you ask yourself that you think oh what have I done (laughs) to make that happen so I love it as a question Um, and I I found that I have to divide people up because I want different people to remember me for different things so I guess my children I'd I'd want them to think of of me as someone who had fun times with that they felt safe with supported by So obviously I'll change all my parenting to make that happen now. Um, Students, students and other actors, students would say, you know, if they they remembered me as someone who'd helped them, helped them feel safe and feel um, playful. The big thing, the word I keep using again is play, 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 let's play, come on, let's play. And um, if I can get them there and see them kind of blossoming, that makes me happy. And, And I would like, my vanity would like you know, to think when I'm gone, there would be some people there going, oh yeah, I can enjoy that. Because I remember when Colin said, don't be scared of that or whatever. Um, I'd, I'd like to be thought of as supportive, fun to work with, fun um, by other actors and directors even. And then I got a special one for all the people that are have wronged and let down and disappointed and hurt and not been there for and all that. And I, and I, I had to think about this and I thought, well, I'd like, them to, I'd like them to think he was he was worth the forgiving wow. I've got a lot of really I've got a lot of exes who I'm on really good terms with and they've forgiven me for all my nonsense so I'd like them all and then all the other people the army of people that I've let down over the years to just go well I'm glad I forgave him it was worth it
0: That's. There's a lovely adage, if you can't top it, stop it. You know, you are forgiven is such a wonderful way to be remembered. Uh, Beautiful. So uh, Colin Hurley, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence here on the Good Listening To podcast. It's been a real uh, privilege to talk to you and to reconnect to you again. So thank you very much indeed. One final thing. Where can we find out more about you on the Internet should we wish to do so?
1: um, I'm still working on the website. Well, my 16-year-old started it and then it got parked. I'm afraid I'm not very
0: good at all that. So um although Wikipedia have got your back, by the way. And
1: obviously.
0: Well, hey. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so listen, thank you so much. That was a, a wonderful conversation. So you've been listening to the delight that is Colin Hurley here on the Good Listening to podcast with me, Chris Grimes. And good night. So this is just a captain's log supplemental, a question I forgot to ask Colin Hurley. Of all the work that you've done and you've just beautifully described the sort of ebbs and flows, the highs and lows of High Diddley an actor's life for me, but you have been at the, the Royal Shakespeare Company, you've been at the Globe, you've been at the National, you've been at the Salisbury Playhouse, we know that. Um, of all the work, and I saw you doing this thing called Illyria last summer, where you portrayed beautifully um, in an improvisational way, the madness of Malvolio. Um, what would you say you're most proud of as the piece of work that you've done?
1: <laughs> i don't know i don't know I, there isn't one i can't answer it i can't which is your favorite oh, what is it so if you had to pull one three things out of the fire what would it be Oh me me um the record collection my best shirt and one of the twins <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of the dromeos comes out the fire <laughs> that's a great answer i love the fact that it it is all the the sort of myriad of of journeymaning and there have been many many moments in the sunshine and you can't pick one
1: no no there's a there's a a nice little pouch full of them oh that's nice
0: thank you for letting me ask you that captain's log supplemental question on the good listening to podcast thank you colin hurley You've been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. If you've enjoyed the programme, then please do subscribe on all the usual channels. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the programme too, and I'm hosted on Buzzsprout. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do. And then on Twitter and Instagram at thatchrisgrimes. Also, if you'd be interested in having some coaching from me to help you level up your confidence, your personal impact or your brand, then contact me via email chris at secondcurve.uk. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.